Hey everyone, this is a special edition of the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. Today we're talking about the big one, 9-11. There is so much to cover that we decided to each choose one thing instead of trying to be comprehensive. There's just too much to talk about in a single episode. So here we go, no introduction, no mind boggle, because the episode is the mind boggle. Asian ETA will start us off. What do you have for us? All right. So the topic that I've chosen is the stock market. So there are some red flags, some some odd stuff that happened leading up to the attacks on 9-11 that involved the stock market. And, and most of what it involved was just a couple companies. And it was American Airlines and uh, United Airlines. There was more companies than that. And, and I'll mention more. Or actually, might as well mention them right now, I guess. Um, two of the other really big ones were Marsh and Citigroup. Um, directly related to the attacks themselves. And that's why I, I choose to focus on those four ones, because uh, how directly r- directly related they were to the attacks. So mm-hmm. what I'd like to talk about in particular are some of the uh, options that were put on some of the stocks for these companies before the attacks happened. So, uh, you know, I don't know a ton about the stock market. I know a little bit. I, th- I think most people, your average person, probably isn't going to be very knowledgeable. So most people know that companies deal in stocks. And um, a lot of people don't know that you can put options on stocks. And there's two different types of options, puts and calls. So puts are uh, basically a bet on a stock price that it will fall. And a call is going to be a bet on a stock price that it will rise. So if you have an inclination, let's just say, that a company may suffer some kind of a uh, you know, tragedy, let's say, that's an easy word to use related to this subject, obviously. If they were to lose a public perception in a negative way, then their stock prices are going to fall. Whatever may cause it, some things can cause it. So if you think that's going to happen, you're going to put a put on the on the uh, put option on the stock. So so just, just to back up a little bit, um, it's my understanding that the difference between the two is that if you buy a stock in the company, you're you're basically a part owner. So it's like you're owning part of the company. Mm-hmm. Whereas an option, when you buy options, you're not buying a part of the company. It's just it's pretty much just like going to Vegas and just putting money down. You're not yeah. investing at all. You're just gambling, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. And that's an important point to make too, because it's you you got to know that about it. It's it's kind of a I've never really been. I I don't know a lot about like I said the, the options that you can you can put on stock, but to me, it's always mm-hmm. kind of seemed like kind of a, a little bit of a dirty thing to do in the stock market, you know, not not necessarily an honest thing, you know what I mean? It's it's definitely strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, okay, so the, there's a couple different dates in particular that I'm going to focus on. And like you're saying, even on this particular subject it, by itself, there's so many different little things that you can talk about, so many different mm-hmm. red flags, but I'm going to focus on a couple of them because what I'm really mm-hmm. hoping to accomplish is truly to spark interest in people that uh, listen to this episode. If they mm-hmm. happen to be interested in it, trust me, if you look into this topic, either one of these topics, you're going to find out much more than we mentioned on this episode, which is going to be a beautiful yeah. thing for you. And I think it's also something that's going to be a little bit of a payoff too, because you're going to start seeing things. You're like, wait, what? Wait, what? Right. And, you know, there's things that, that you've never heard of before. And you're, you're going to be sitting there wondering to yourself, how did I not hear about this before? How come this that's hasn't been talked ex- about so much? That's exactly what happened to my topic. But we'll get mm-hmm. to that in a little while. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, these and these two topics aren't the, aren't the only ones either. But these are the ones we're focusing on today. So on September 6th, um, <clears throat> let me start that one more time here. Edit on September 6th. 
Bloomberg data showed that put option volume on United Airlines stock stock was almost 100 times higher than normal. There was 2,000 options versus 27 options the previous day. Um, on, wow. Yeah, I know, right? That's a, quite a disparity. It's a big difference there. On the 6th and the 7th, the Chicago Board Options Exchange handled 4,744 put options on United Airlines stock. Um, on a day that you would think, because there's no news relating to that relating to that company, you'd think that um, the ratio would be pretty normal, pretty much even. You'd think um, the ratio that day was uh, well, that ratio was 12 to one. It's a huge a huge ratio. Yeah. And then on the 10th of September, uh, American Airlines option volume was 4,516 puts and 748 calls. That's a ratio of six to one on another day that, that by all means you'd think would be normal. It should be somewhere around one to one. No other airline stocks had these type of ratios during the, during this period of time, just a, a American airlines and United airlines. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's, it's a big red flag and it's a little concerning on its face. And um, th- there's, there's even people that I, I think that are, plenty prominent enough to to step back and listen to what they're saying and, and make it, what they're saying is going to make you want to look into it. Uh, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a, let's see, there's a, a university of Chicago professor of finance, George Constantinidis, I think is how you pr- pronounce that name. It's a, it's a long <laughs> name with a whole bunch of syllables and I'm, I hope I'm doing it justice, but I'm not quite sure. Um, but he's quoted to have said, Option market trading was so striking that it's hard to att- uh, attribute it to chance. So something is definitely going on. And that's his exact words. If, if that's coming from this fella, that's got to make you interested at the very least. Mm-hmm. That's that's somebody that's, you know, supposed to know what's going on. The four highest volume of stocks that were suspected, like I said before, was uh, United Airlines, Marsh, American Airlines, and Citigroup. And they were mm-hmm. very closely linked, like I had mentioned before. The two airlines had airlines, uh, airplanes that were hijacked in the attacks and destroyed. Marsh, and this is a, a very interesting fact, Marsh was located in the exact eight floors out of the 110 floors in the North Tower that was hit. Really? Yeah, where Flight 11 hit, uh, right where they impacted. So that's a, maybe, maybe that's a coincidence. That, that certainly could be a coincidence, but still odd at the very least. That would be one heck of a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and there's plenty of other ones. So Citigroup was a parent of Travelers, Travelers Insurance, which uh, was expected to see a $500 million claim put against it because of the attacks. And also uh, Solomon Smith Barney, which occupied all but, I think was all but 10 floors of the World Trade Center, uh, Center Building 7. Because oddly enough, uh, Solomon Smith Barney had both Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney on its uh, advisory board up until January 2001. Huh. You don't say. That's <laughs> odd, right? I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying. I'd, I'd never heard that before. That's really interesting. Just saying is all, right? Well, and then, so let's move on to the 9-11 Commission. Now, I know that we're, we're brushing over a lot of this stuff real, really fast. But like I said, this is the purpose of this is to spark interest. And I really, truly hope that people well, do become interested in these. You could, topics. I mean, any one of these things, you could, it's a thread that you could pull it and just go on for hours and hours looking into each one of these little things. Mm-hmm. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, the, the 9-11 commission by itself is, is 
a bit frustrating for me to be quite honest because so so the 911 commission they the way that they described themselves is they've done exhaustive investigations on the subject uh, when it comes to the the stock market mm-hmm. so the investigations by the SCC and the FBI supposedly uncovered no evidence that anybody with advanced knowledge of the attacks profited from the securities transactions Mm-hmm. So in a footnote, the commission had acknowledged that highly suspicious trading was found, um, and it was very highly suspicious on its face in particular. Those were the words that they used. But they said that the uh, the trading was on United Airlines, and it was uh, trade. the trades were, let me see here, it was uh, traced back to a single U.S.-based ins- institutional investor with no conceivable ties to Al-Qaeda. So hmm. even though it was what they're saying there is, even though it was suspicious, they didn't have any direct links to Al Qaeda. So therefore they're not guilty. So let me ask. So um, institutional investor, from what I understand, that would be a large investor, like a mutual fund or a bank. Yes. So somebody who's putting like, let's say $50 million in at a time, rather or compared to your average investor where you might be investing in a stock with some extra money. You might be putting 2000 or 5,000 in that would be your, your retail investor. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding of it. Okay. And, and so it's a good thing that you mentioned that because so there, there have been lots of people that have done investigations on this particular subject. And and one of them in particular that I think that the the professor did a, a very good investigation. I'll mention him just in a little bit, but it was actually found that um, Deutsche Bank. So, so there's this, this entity called Deutsche Bank Alex dot Brown, or as uh, known as its acronym is DBAB or D B A B, and this included uh, this company was involved on in, on some of these very suspicious trades, um, in particular United Airlines stock. So they made um, there was a, a contract for two thousand five hundred stocks ordered that was split into chunks of 500 contracts each and then routed to multiple exchanges around the country at the same time hmm. on, um, I believe those were on the 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, and that's in the, that's in the nine 11 commission report. And th- well, not, not particularly it's, it's suspected that when they mentioned the single U S bank or single U S and uh, based in institutional investor, it's it's thought that that's who they're mentioning, either that or uh, the customer who was financing that that through that bank. Mm-hmm. So does that that sounds to me a little bit like they're trying to hide the transactions with they're routing it to so many different places. Mm-hmm. Well, and and plus possibly you know create plausible deni- deniability as well. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple, there's all sorts of different ways we can look at this, but there's a lot of red flags that I want to mention just in, in particular. So right after the attacks of September 11th, many governments began investigations into possible insider trading or informed trading as most people, the, the actual term is informed trading, but most people are going to know it as insider trading. So mm-hmm. related to the attacks, uh, these investigations included governments from Belgium, Cyprus, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Luxembourg, Monte Carlo, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and of course the United States. Not, hmm. and it's important to note as well: not one of these investigations resulted in a single indictment. Wow! Not one of them, right? But you have a, a lot of these prominent individuals uh, publicly stating 
that they believe something very sinister happened. For instance, uh, Italy's foreign minister, Antonio Martino, he made it clear in, in a public statement what, what he thought about the, uh, the situation. He said, and I quote, I think that there are terrorist states and organizations behind speculation on the international markets. And that's actually a direct quote from that, that guy. Let me say that again. That's, hmm. that's Italy's foreign minister. That, that's not a position that most people get um, just by relationship to people that they know. You have to earn. Mm-hmm. I, you would, at least you'd hope, right? You never know. But that's a, that's a prominent person. And, and uh, another prominent individual is from a German central bank, from the German central bank president, actually, Ernest uh, Wetlicky. You know about this? Uh, do you know if that's the right pronunciation? How do you spell it? It's W W E L T E K E. The W's are pronounced <laughs> like V's in German, so it might be Veltecki, Veltecki? or something like that. Vel, and Veltecki. And roll roll the E too, just for good measure. Uh whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my dastardliest, and then we'll go from there. So I didn't. All right. <laughs> at any rate, uh, another very important individual. He was the president of the G- the German Central Bank, Ernest. Veltecki, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. He said, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He said uh, he actually conducted a investigation where, where he had his own researchers. Um, so he, what he was looking into was terrorism insider trading, and that's the term that he used, associated with 9-11, of course. And he mm-hmm. said that his researchers had uncovered almost irrefutable proof of insider trading. So wow. that's that's substantial right there. In 2006, there was a professor of finance from the University of Illinois, and his name was Alan Potishman. And he mm-hmm. published an analysis on the airline stock option trades leading up to the attacks. The study mm-hmm. came uh, to the conclusion that the put volume was, and I quote, unusually high, which is consistent with informed investors having traded in the option market in advance of the attacks. Wow. So that's that's another, and that, that that guy's a professor of finance. So I mean, he's a he's a fellow that's tre- te- teaching everybody that's that's working in finance. Well, I guess that's a well. He he lives in that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, right. He created part of it, I'm sure. <laughs> so and, and so part of that that uh, analysis is uh, he uses he uses certain statistical techniques um, to evaluate the conditional and, and unconditional distributions of historical stock options. And the, the, mm-hmm. act, the activities and stuff that uh, create certain um, trends, I suppose. I, I don't know all the, the different terms, but Professor Podishman showed that the data indicated that informed trading did occur. And that was his, mm-hmm. his straightforward down the middle conclusion. And, and that uh, analysis, that report is actually pretty easy to pull up. That was one of the first things that uh, came up under a Google search. Mm-hmm. So that that's something that's not hard at all to find that information. I think everybody should look up that report and... and just scan it over a little well, bit. And the, the, the numbers don't lie. You're reminding me, I wish I, I don't remember the exact details, but I did read about a case years ago where the CEO of some company was murdered and they found the guy that murdered him because the guy that murdered him had put a bu- had short sold a bunch of shares of the stock before he killed him, oh. knowing that the, the price of the shares would plummet after the CEO died mm-hmm. and th- they figured that out only based on the fact that there was an unusually high number of short sales placed on this right before it went down. So there, there is precedent for this. I mean, they've actually caught real criminals before based on 
irregularities in the numbers in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Hey, that could be something that stands out. If something stands out, then you got to look into it. I mean, at least yeah. if you're doing an honest investigation at the very least and motives, it always comes back to gaining control or, or gaining profit that, that always seems to be involved in some way, shape or form. So I think those are, oh, yeah. those are like the two, the two first things you could, you could look into as far as motives go. And there's, there's plenty of red flags that, that seemingly are involved with that. Yeah. So that's pretty much the majority of what I got to say on, on this subject. Mm-hmm. Like I had said before, there's a lot more things that we can go into and there's a lot more things that, that I had looked at, but I want to keep it simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. That way we could spark the interest and, and, and hopefully there's going to be people that look into this and, and start creating their own opinion as far as just listening to what they hear on TV and, and going off of that. All right. My turn. Yes, sir. Boy, howdy. I'm talking about something that's actually a fairly recent turn of events that this happened actually at the beginning of 2019, something called the dark overlord hacks or the nine 11 papers. Sounds ominous. It might be one, one of the things that blows. It sounds like a, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it sounds like a, like a, a B sci-fi movie, the overlord hacks, you know, <laughs> there's an evil spirit that's coming through the internet and it's going to hack you to pieces. <laughs> this stuff is, it's wacky enough for a B movie. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's a good point actually. So for me, this is, this was kind of a really special event for me because I'd always heard of the nine 11 truthers or whatever, but usually I saw them, in terms of like, you know, oh, those are the weirdos that believe that the 9-11 was like, you know, controlled demolition or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I never really took any of this this conspiracy stuff too seriously as far as 9-11 goes until this happened. And this just this I did a complete 180. Like I'm normally I'm a very, very skeptical person when it comes to all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time in my life and I'm pretty old. I won't say how old. But, you know, pretty old. <laughs> hey, we, <laughs> and, all, we um, all get there if we're lucky, right? Yeah, you know, you guys are going to get older too. Don't worry about it. But I've never actually experienced something before where I saw it happen. Un- I saw it unfolding in real time, basically. So mm-hmm. what happened was on New Year's Eve, on so 12-31-18, a news story broke. The article came out on uh, Motherboard or Vice. I think it might be kind of the same website. And it was written by a guy named Joseph Cox, mm-hmm. who, as a side note, he writes about a lot of really, really cool stuff. So if you want to read some really cool tech articles, just Google Joseph Cox and read his stuff. He's got a lot of really cool stuff. The media coverage, when the story came out, I first saw it on, on the my Google News Feed app. And it seemed to me like a really big deal. Like they the this organization... These hackers, kind of like anonymous or something, you know, these groups, mm-hmm. they hacked these insurance documents and these about 9-11. And I expected to see ongoing media coverage, right? Mm-hmm. But there was pretty much zero media coverage. I did see a couple of stories over the next couple of days, but they were all basically just retelling what the original story on motherboard by Joseph Cox said, Mm. they were just taking his story and rephrasing it or just completely copying it. Basically 
And if you've seen stuff unfolding in the news, you've probably noticed this before. It's not unusual. Yeah. But what was unusual is the magnitude of this event and the fact that it wasn't reported on by anybody else. Well, really and, that i saw and i actually was not aware of this event at all until you had mentioned it to me i was like the overlord what like, yeah no, nobody's heard i had no idea what you were talking thing. about that's even i've even i've talked i've talked to other people of podcasts and they've never heard of this and it just blows my mind that nobody's actually heard of this thing and that's mm -hmm. why i wanted to do this as my topic mm -hmm. i read the story on the first so the first of the year january 1st there's really no media coverage but there is some discussion of it on a couple of different websites like Reddit and the above top secret forums, some places like that. If, if you read about conspiracy stuff, you know, the places I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So there was people talking about it for the next couple of days, but it's really hard to get information on it. So there's not really a whole lot of buzz about it. People are just kind of talking about like, yeah, it happened, whatever. And, but starting on about the fifth or the sixth, there was a complete and total blackout. So I would search Google and I would, I would not get any Google results on it at all, including stories that I'd already read, like the motherboard stories stopped showing up in Google. Yeah. So then places you had just been the other day. Yeah. So then when I check Reddit, the stuff on Reddit got either got censored or erased and that was the case for other places too. It just, it was the discussion just was dead in the water a hundred percent. And around this time, the dark overlord, they, they were announcing stuff on like Twitter and Reddit, whatever. They had all these social media accounts and their accounts all got banned from all these places on the same day. The crazy thing is that when this happened, they moved to a website called steam it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Probably most people don't know what that is, but yeah, it's don't. basically if Bitcoin and Reddit had a child, it would be Steam it. So it's hmm. it's based on the blockchain. One of the main ideas is that if you write a post on there, it's on the blockchain and it cannot be changed. It cannot be edited. It cannot be okay. silenced. It cannot be censored or whatever. So they went on to Steam it and started announcing stuff there and they got even steam it stopped posting. They, they got censored from steam it. Their mm -hmm. stuff is actually still on the steam it blockchain because that's immutable. You cannot get that off of the blockchain. There's two parts to the steam it. There's the, there's the blockchain, which you can look at is like, I guess to put it for the layperson, if you've seen the matrix, it's like all those numbers going by that nobody can really understand without mm -hmm. some sort of way of interpreting them. And then there's the front end which is like the website that interprets the numbers. Would so, you uh, would you be able to say it's like it's like the index of a book that's continuously being written? I guess you could say that, yeah. But okay. the so the data is still there. It's just nobody can really get to that data without the front end, mm -hmm. without the website part of it. Mm -hmm. But the website part of it's just completely censored it, which is the opposite of what they're supposed to do. The whole point of steam it is that you can't censor stuff. So you, you'd have to be like, they the, censored it. You'd have to be like the owner or operator of the website in order to do that. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. hundred okay. percent. That website is operated in the United States. People think that basically the, you know, the, 
whoever it is, the deep state or whatever, got to them. and Or maybe it was are, always part of the deep state. Maybe it is, yeah. It's a plant. There are some other front ends for this blockchain for Steemit where you can see this stuff. One of them's like uh, busy.org, B-U-S-Y dot O-R-G, for example, mm. where you can still see the Dark Overlords posts on there. But they got erased from pretty much the entire internet. I've never seen anything like this happen before where I, as I like, it's like I was watching it get erased from the internet. Like I saw it happen mm-hmm. and I've never seen anything like that before. And that's so nine 11. I don't know if controlled demolition was a thing. I don't know if there was, I don't, I don't know anything about it, but the fact that it got erased from the internet so quickly, that sort of caught my attention because that, w- that can only happen if the government's making it happen, that's yeah. not going to happen by itself. Well, the and, same, the, the topic that I covered, uh, there's a little bit of that going on as well. If you look up uh, yeah. videos on like YouTube, for example, just uh-huh. for, sh- I, I assumed that there wouldn't be really a whole lot on YouTube about it. And, and there may be something on a video somewhere that doesn't have anything to do with it in the title where it's mentioned, or, uh-huh. or may, maybe they, you know, they were savvy and they didn't put it in the title or the first couple of minutes on purpose, possibly. Uh-huh. But I remember because the first time I ever heard about this subject was on a YouTube video and I don't remember the the channel that had posted it, but I do remember that mm-hmm. in particular. And mm-hmm. you, you go on YouTube now and good luck finding anything about it. Yeah. Anything that's obviously about it. No, they, yeah, they've suppressed not only the dark overlord, they've suppressed a lot of conspiracy stuff nowadays on YouTube, which is mm-hmm. kind of suspicious. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's so, just one platform, but yeah. But what I saw was every platform, even platforms that are supposed to be immune from government censorship, Mm -hmm. everything, everything got silenced. They got their, their files that they were uploading. They got, got taken off of paste bin. I mean, it's just everywhere. They were in a lot of different places and everything got shut down. It was unreal. So I found on a couple days later on the eighth, I found a website called vote V O A T dot C O it's like Reddit, but it's not censored. And it's where when people get banned from Reddit, they go here basically. And it's, I, I can't necessarily recommend it because the, it they'll very, have a topic. Is it a very toxic environment? It's, oh, you can't even imagine. Like, cause, cause they'll Reddit, be talking. Reddit is toxic enough by itself. Yeah. But some, some people don't like Reddit. Like I don't like Reddit. I mean, I like the people on Reddit. I just uh-huh. don't like Reddit. Oh, okay. So I, when I found this website at first, I was kind of excited about it, but then you go on there and you'll see a discussion that's, you know, take your, pick your topic. And then the, the first reply will be whatever. And then the second reply will be something along the lines of, oh, you know, it's these, these Jewish people who are this, whatever nasty stuff they're saying about Jewish people. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy's not even Jewish. What do you even, it's weird. It's just like a really weird website. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's totally 100% not censored at all. So it's interesting to go here and see how a website works when it's not censored. And I wouldn't be surprised if some people went there and had a greater appreciation of Reddit, even though a lot of people complain about Reddit being censored. It's one of those mm-hmm. be careful what you wish for kind of a things. Yeah. At, but, some, at some points, yeah, it's, some checks and balances are needed in some areas just to control the, the madness. Yeah. You know? But if you want, 
So I'm going to recommend that people do not research this <laughs> because it's, but you can, if you want to, you can go download the files that were hacked and you can find links to those on vote.co. They're still there. I checked the other day and there's still some discussion threads, but the discussion has kind of died down and I'll get to why it's died down in a little bit. Okay. The whole point of this whole thing is that it just, it got completely suppressed and then it just died. But this should have been something that was really huge. I'll talk about why it would be huge in a minute. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the Dark Overlord hacking group. This is a legitimate hacking group. And it seems to, as far as I can tell, it started in 2016. And their their description, the way they describe themselves is a professional adversarial threat group. And I, I kind of got to respect that, even though I may not like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, from what I can, what I found, they've hacked over 50 institutions and companies. Uh, the, one of their main targets is medical records, particularly celebrity plastic surgery stuff that they can release pictures of, you know, like hmm. naked pictures of celebrities. Okay. And also probably their most famous hack was they hacked Netflix for the an unreleased season of Orange is the New Black. Okay. And they they tried to shake Netflix down, but Netflix refused to pay, so they released the season early. That's probably their most famous hack. So it's definitely a legit hacking group, and the reason I had to look that up is because I'm not really up to speed on all this tech stuff and all these hacking groups, and a lot of the discussion, a lot of people said that they didn't believe it was real, that it was a hoax or whatever. They didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. But this is a legit group. And if you look at their track history, what they do is they hack for documents or they hack companies for information or data, and they shake down these companies for money. Mm -hmm. They say, pay us or we're going to release this stuff. Quite often, the companies pay them. And they have released documents in the past that are legitimate documents. And that's important because it establishes that these guys are not hoaxers. They've actually they're accomplished not, some stuff. Yeah, they're not scam artists who are looking for a one-off payment. These guys are legit hackers, 100% real. You do not want them calling on you because they will hack you and they will release whatever stuff you have or demand a payment. If mm -hmm. you're a big institution with lots of money, if you're an individual like you know me or Agent ETA, you don't have to worry about these guys because you don't have any money and they're not going to come after you. Yeah. But if you're like a hospital or something, anonymous is probably the most well-known group of hackers. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's, they're sort of like social activists. They want to accomplish something. They want to make the world a better place. Whether or not you agree with their methods is another thing. And there's also a lot of imitation anonymous groups out there as well. Yeah. But these guys, they just straight up said, we don't care about any of that stuff. We only care about money. So they're not hacktivists. I found that term. I didn't know about this word before, so I'm sorry if it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but but apparently hacktivist is the thing. They're not hacktivists. They only care about the money. Okay. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about what was in the hacks. Sometime in April 2018, as far as I can tell, they hacked documents from Hiscox Syndicates LTD and Lloyds of London, which are some of the biggest insurers on the planet. These guys, they're just monsters. Mm -hmm. And also some stuff from Silverstein Properties. Okay. Which Silverstein Properties also one of the biggest property companies 
Mm-hmm. They they do a lot of stuff in New York, but they're they're huge. They own the World Trade Center. Yeah. Yeah. As soon yeah. as you said Silverstein, I was like, oh, yeah, I know that name. The documents all center around what's called subrogation proceedings. I had to look this up. I don't know what this stuff is. Subrogation is when an insurance company has to pay out money. And when they pay out that money, they go after somebody who might be liable for that. And that's subrogation. So let's say... I don't know if you, if you crash your car because somebody didn't clean up their, I don't know, their ice that they put down uh, stupid example, mm-hmm. but the insurance company pays you for your car because you have a policy. And then the subrogation would be going after whoever less left the ice around that made you crash in the first place. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. they're, they're going after whoever's liable for it, but it's kind of like after they've already paid out on the policy. Mm hmm. So that's that's pretty much the central thrust of all these documents. It's not government documents, it's insurance company documents. Okay. The documents, there's supposedly over 18,000 of them and you can download them. It's a 10 gigabyte file. But there's a catch. There's five layers of documents and each layer had a certain checkpoint to be released based on how much Bitcoin was paid to the dark overlord group. Hmm. So if, if they got paid, let's say 5,000, they released the first layer and so forth. And they said that the first layer wasn't as juicy as the fifth layer. So the really good stuff was in the fifth layer. Mm -hmm. The not as interesting stuff was in the first layer and they released a, a couple of teaser documents before they even got the ball rolling just to kind of get people interested. So so just to get it straight, they weren't using this as a as a bribe basically for for the companies, right? They weren't bribing the companies for money. They were, they were basically oh, no. saying that if you pay us enough money, we're going to release this really juicy information. Here's where it gets interesting because these guys are very clever. So what they did was they told the public if you pay us 2 million dollars in bitcoin, we'll release these documents okay. and they actually collected some Bitcoins from, well, who knows where they came from, mm-hmm. but they did collect some Bitcoin from probably the public and they did release some documents, but they did not get the 2 million they were looking for. Okay. Rumor has it that they were trying to get $10 million from the private companies. Whether or not they got that, I don't know. We'll talk about a little bit about that later what happens, mm-hmm. but they, they did release three of the five layers they did not release layers four and five. This is basically like a crowdfunding scheme and they were selling it is basically we're going to reveal the truth about nine 11. Just give us a little bit of money and but, we'll tell you what happened. They're playing it from both sides though. Yeah, exactly. What they were doing is they were trying to put pressure on the private companies by releasing documents. They release a little bit of documents Mm-hmm. And then the private companies wouldn't pay. So they release a few more documents and the, they wouldn't pay and so forth. So they were, they were using the public to create this buzz about it to get the attention of the bigger companies. Okay. Because they don't want the 2 million from us. They wanted the 10 million from the companies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So each layer requires, they're all, it's a, so you can download the 10 gigabytes of it, right? But it's encrypted. And each layer has an encryption key that you need to use to unlock the files. The first two layers were paid for. The third layer 
was not paid for, but it was still released. And I'll, I'll talk about that later. In the documents, the insurance companies go after a lot of different parties and they're basically looking for defendants that they can recoup some of their money from, like airlines and private security companies. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of discussion in these documents about possible targets like terrorists and, you know, terrorist assets that have been frozen and foreign banks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's interesting in the documents is you, you get an idea of just how incredibly well-funded these lawyers were. So, for example, they obviously were lobbying Congress, and there's a receipt in there to Senator Bob Dole for a payment of $62,500, which is the first of 12 payments, which Hmm. adds up to $750,000 or so, just for one senator. That's an incredible amount of money for lobbying one senator. Usually when companies lobby a senator... It's not quite that much money. This is just one senator. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the general idea of what, what's in the documents. Now, let's talk a little bit about some specific things in the documents. So, first of all, a lot of them are, well, they're all pretty much like legal speaks. It's kind of a foreign language. So, if somebody wanted to download them, which I'm definitely not recommending, but if you did... You'd have to know some legal speak. It's very hard to even read these and know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really interesting things revealed in the documents. In the documents, the insurance companies discuss whether or not the Bush administration had prior knowledge of the attacks. There's a document in there summarizing quotes from various administration officials. There's one document that details a meeting And one lawyer in the meeting said that he expected some very important information about the Bush administration knowing about the attacks ahead of time. But unfortunately, the the resolution of that is never revealed. It might be in layer four or five. So it's sort of like this little mystery that's presented. You know, you have this this document summarizing. It's like the the minutes or whatever. So somebody's taking notes on the meeting as it's going on. Mm hmm. And this lawyer says, well, I'm going to have this really good information about prior knowledge that the Bush administration had. I don't have it yet. I'm going to get it soon. But that's never given to us. We never see the the document that that guy or the ev- evidence. We never see the evidence that that lawyer was talking about. There's nothing in there, as far as I could find, that says explicitly that the Bush administration had prior knowledge. But they talk about it an awful lot. And it is definitely an angle that they're considering. Yeah, they were definitely looking at that because you could really recoup some money if that was if you could prove that was the case, right? Yeah, no doubt about so, that. The collateral would be substantial, though. So for me, that was one of the the main topics that was worth investigating was whether or not these documents reveal prior knowledge from the Bush administration, and that's one of the things that the Dark Overlord keeps hinting at that they're going to reveal. But unfortunately, that never happened because only three of the five layers got unlocked. So next, a huge list of specific terrorists and co-conspirators is in the document. So lots of people in there. But one of the really interesting things is that it lists Saudi princes. These people are listed specifically, not as Saudi princes, as people that might be worthy of investigation, but they list them as co-conspirators. Potential financiers? 
Yeah. No, co-conspirators, not even financiers, but co-conspirators. Mm. So they just, they basically, they're just saying in these documents that these, these people, these Saudi princes, the Saudi royal family, they basically saying that they did it. And it's really kind of interesting because you don't hear that too much on the news. Mm-mm. So another thing in there that was kind of kind of an interesting read. There's a document that details. Did you hear about James Woods? Do you know about this? Uh, no, I don't believe so. So James Woods, for for all you kids out there, he's an actor who was you know in 80s or whatever. He's he's an older older guy, older gentleman, mm-hmm. distinguished, you know, because he's old. He took a flight and he was in first class and he reported four suspicious individuals, and he told the air crew and the ground crew when he landed that these people were acting really weird and nothing ever came from it. Well, it turns out these four people were eventually hijacked that exact same flight and crashed it into the world trade center. So this was probably a dry Hmm. run. They were on this plane. Probably they had smuggled weapons on there and they were just testing it out to prepare for the real event. Mm -hmm. But this this isn't just a fun story because as a Hollywood actor, it's actually pretty alarming because he reported it and nothing happened. Nobody did anything. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's kind of the surprising thing about this one. All right. Next up is the world trade center building seven. If you don't know what that is. So the twin towers are the ones where airplanes crashed into them. World trade center seven It's one of the shorter buildings next to it that caught on fire and collapsed from building fires. If you look at the official report, the official report says that basically office paper and just furniture stuff in the building caught on fire and that made it collapse, which is okay, kind of strange, whatever. But the documents are going after the PONY Pony, which is the Port Authority of New York, because... They had fuel tanks for generators in building seven with thousands and thousands of gallons of generator fuel, basically hmm. diesel fuel. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's the thing about this that makes this really interesting. What, if you read their official report, the official report says that airplanes crashed into the twin towers and the jet fuel caught on fire, weakened the steel structures, made the building fall, right? Mm-hmm. Now, World Trade Center 7 had these fuel tanks, but it wasn't the fuel that made it fall. It was the paper. Uh-huh. So it is sort of a, a discrepancy here. And Oh, it's weird, if, too, because diesel fuel is quite the accelerant. Once it's lit on fire, I, I have actually I've lit diesel fuel on fire before because I used to be a diesel mechanic. Uh-huh. It's, it's not exactly easy to light on fire. You could take a lit match and hover it right above. You could just hold it right above an open tray of diesel fuel. It's not mm-hmm. going to light on fire. What you're going to need to do is get a torch, something at yeah. much higher temperature. Once you do light it on fire, though, step back because it's going to go with with some veracity. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to well, go, and it's going to. But it's because it's a light oil. Is and is the reason. Airplane fuel is almost the exactly the same thing as diesel fuel. In fact, I've talked to airplane mechanics who said that you could weld over airplane fuel and it would not ignite. Really? It's the same. It's very similar to diesel fuel. It's not as easy to light as regular car gas. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same thing, but it's a lot thicker 
and it's not as volatile. It has a higher energy density, which is why they use it on airplanes, because there's limited space. They need mm-hmm. to really get as much as they can out of the fuel. Mm-hmm. But so anyways, back to the building seven, there's an inconsistency here. So airplanes have X amount of fuel. The amount of fuel in these fuel tanks was like 10 times that or a hundred times that it was thousands and thousands of gallons of fuel. That's basically airplane fuel, jet fuel in these buildings. But the official report says the fuel in those tanks did not cause the building to collapse, but the fuel in the airplanes caused the twin towers to collapse. So at the very least, these insurance documents kind of demonstrate that there's inconsistencies in the official report, like not just like that's kind of weird stuff, but glaring, Mm. obviously weird and obviously incorrect inconsistencies. Yeah. And and so are you aware of the hotel in uh, Madrid, Spain that actually had been con- uh, consumed by an, a fire? Have you heard no, about that? No, I'm not. I did okay. not hear about that. I, I was actually kind of wondering if you're going to mention that or not, but so there was a hotel in Madrid, Spain that is a of similar construction to World Trade, uh, excuse me, World Trade Building number 7. So uh-huh. World World Trade Building number 7 and the actual World Trade Towers uh, towers one and two that were hit by the planes, very mm-hmm. different types of construction, very, very okay. different types of construction. And most people know that, but World Trade Building seven, uh, 7, that building was more of a standard type of high-rise construction. So you had steel beams, steel girders, and, and, and your more typical type of construction. So mm-hmm. a very similar type of construction hotel uh, was fully engulfed in uh, Madrid, Spain, after mm-hmm. after the 9-11 attacks and it's used very often as a, a comparison because that entire building well an, an entire portion of the building i should i should say was fully engulfed in flames and the steel structure didn't give out there were whole sections of the building where the the steel frame of the building was all that was left and it didn't it didn't it didn't collapse i've actually uh read in a couple different places and i've heard on a couple different podcasts that the only steel frame buildings ever to collapse from a fire are the ones in the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you wonder. I haven't had a chance to really research that myself because sometimes people say that and they don't really know all the facts. But I mean, that's like what, what I was saying before, what we were what we're saying before is that there's so much to this topic that you could you could dive into any one of these things and it's just it never ends, really. Mm-hmm. Throughout the documents, they they discuss whether or not they can go after the Saudi royal family. And the discussion always ends at, no, we cannot go after the royal Saudi family because the federal government will not let us. And that's kind of a strange thing. <laughs> also, suing the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, or any part of the federal government was also off the table. Mm -hmm. Probably the reason for that is because during this process, the lawyers who are trying to sue all these various different parties absolutely 100% need the cooperation of the federal government or it will not happen. So they cannot target the federal government or its agencies or they will not get any cooperation. That's probably why they said that the federal agencies are off the table for lawsuits. Mm-hmm. So in these documents, there's some depositions. They w- interview like security guards and just people involved. During these depositions, there are always government lawyers sitting in on the interviews. 
And you can read the transcripts of these. And a lot of the time they would ask a question about something mundane, like, I don't know, soda or airplane inspections or whatever, just something that wouldn't even really grab your attention. Mm-hmm. And the government lawyers would say, stop, you can't answer that. That is SSI or secret information. Do not answer that question. And it's hmm. kind of weird because they just keep doing that throughout the depositions and there's no really any sense to it. It's just kind of weird. So, okay. So next I want to talk about something that's, it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I kind of think it's like a bombshell smoking gun, but then again, I might just be imagining it. I don't know. So there's in the documents, there's a security circular from January 4th, 2001, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a little long, but there's some excerpts from it. Islamic militant groups publicly have threatened unspecified attacks against U.S. interests. The potential for militant groups or individuals to conduct terrorist operations against U.S. interests increased at the end of 2000. It is our judgment that this threat will remain elevated for the next several months given the likely continuation of violent Israeli-Palestinian clashes and because recent statements by Islamic extremists have encouraged violence against U.S. interests abroad. The FAA does not have any credible information regarding specific plans by Middle East terrorist groups to attack U.S. air carriers. Nevertheless, Some of the currently active groups are known to plan and train for hijackings and have the capacity to construct improvised explosive devices concealed inside luggage and consumer products. The FAA encourages all U.S. carriers to demonstrate a high degree of alertness. And there was another circular from June 22nd that was very similar. It's pretty much the same thing, a little different wording. So I just want to reiterate that these are two circulars from January 4th, 2001 and June 22nd, 2001, just before the attacks, the same year as the attacks. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason this is important is because these security circulars are supposed to be given to the airlines and distributed to various security personnel so that they know what's going on and they can look out for this stuff. But during the depositions, several of the depositions, they asked security personnel, were you informed about any possible security threats from terrorists? And they said, no, we were not briefed on any terrorist threats. So if there was a security circular, where did it go? Was it circulated? Because it doesn't appear to have been circulated. What happened to this thing? We don't know. We don't know the paper trail. All we know is that this document existed and it was not given to the people who were supposed to get it. Mm-hmm. That's that's all the hacks are kind of like this. All the documents and the hacks, there's stuff like this where you kind of have to really read between the lines to see what's going on. But it's hard to say that any of it's really a smoking gun, but there's some really alarming stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was going to, I was going to comment and say it's it's something that definitely gives you a pause. Yeah. Especially yeah, if kinda, you know a little bit about what they're talking about, you know, some yeah. of the people that they're using. And you, you, I read this stuff and I'm, it kind of makes me do a double take. Like, what? Wait, what? Well, and <laughs> insurance companies, too, are, are very efficient entities that they don't like to waste. 
You know what I mean? Right. Because of their 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 number one agenda is profit. You know, and also yeah. limiting expenditure. Well, the, these circulars were probably included in the documents because the insurance companies wanted to establish that the security companies were negligent and that they had been warned ahead of time that there was a security risk and they hadn't mm -hmm. done anything to screen for those risks. But when they interviewed these people, and I don't mean they interviewed the CEOs of these private security companies, I mean they interviewed the actual people working there probably getting minimum wage uh -huh. the people said in the depositions and these are from the documents the people said that they were not briefed on these security threats so it's it's just a really kind of a strange thing yeah if anybody's going to know well i mean i guess that's not necessarily true if anybody's going to know about security uh, security threats it's going to be the people working the ground but if there are specific security threats that are going to need to be looked after going to be looked out for the people on the ground are going to be the ones doing that work. I'm going to start listing specific document numbers. Not that anybody should look these up because it's probably a really bad idea to look these up. You'll probably get a virus and the NSA will bust down your door. But should you want to look up these documents? It, mostly the reason why I'm listing the document numbers is because some of this stuff is so wackadoodle that even though I read it and I took notes on it and then I read it again and I thought to myself, that can't possibly be what I just read. So I looked it up again and read it again. Mm -hmm. It's still so, so outlandish that I, if anybody wants to check in on this stuff. So here, here goes. So from document number 00026798. So on July 5th, 2001, the white house had a meeting in their situation room. So a quote from this document is something really spectacular is going to happen and it's going to happen soon. This was said by Richard Clark, the government's top counterterrorism official, the FAA Coast Guard, FBI, Secret Service and Immigration and Naturalization were supposedly the people in this meeting. And this this is what I mean when it's there's a lot of documents that kind of point towards pre-knowledge that the, the administration knew ahead of time what was going to happen and they didn't do anything about it. That's one of the major theories. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't prove anything, but this document is pretty much as close to a smoking gun as I've found so far. Okay. And I'm just putting the document number out there from the, from the TDO hacks. Should anybody want to look it up to see for themselves? It's 000 26798. Not that you should look that up because it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> okay, another one from document 00010135. Aviation experts agree that knowing right away that the planes had not crashed but had been commandeered might have cut precious minutes off the time it took the FAA to decide to contact the military. This may have allowed the military to intervene as they did on the flight in Pennsylvania. Okay, wait, record scratch, right? So let me read that last sen sentence again in case you didn't catch it. This may have allowed the military to intervene as they did on the flight in Pennsylvania. They're talking about Flight 93. The story goes that Flight 93 was retaken by passengers and then the plane crashed somehow. Mm -hmm. So the, the military, the Air Force has very specific terminology 
there's a word they use all the time called intercept. Now, when they say they intercept something, that doesn't mean any specific action was taken. That just means that they maybe they scrambled some jets. The jets went from point A to point B, point B being whatever it is they're checking out, and they intercepted point B. That does not mean that they shot something down. Intervene has a completely different definition. It could mean any number of things, but in this context, it strongly suggests that the military shot down Flight 93. And that opens a whole can of worms, because the official narrative is that these heroes on this plane retook the plane from the terrorists, and then it crashed while they were fighting for their freedom. Mm -hmm. That is a narrative of heroes, of American heroes, that cannot be questioned. But if the military shot this plane down, it changes everything. So if people retook this plane these heroes, why did the plane crash if they retook the plane from the terrorists? So a lot of people are wondering, did they shoot the plane down because it was retaken by the passengers? So if it's retaken and the passengers land the plane, now you have all these witnesses and you have these terrorists in custody who can be questioned and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So did they shoot it down because they wanted to prevent that from happening in the first place? Well, and, and also even, one, of, one of the big questions that people had initially right away is when they saw the, the videotape and the, the footage, the photos of, of that, that field where that plane was supposed to have crashed, most people that have seen a, a crash site of a plane would say that did not look like your, your typical crash site. Where, where are the large right. sections, where are the large sections of the plane, you know, the there, there's this, you know, indentation in the ground where it looks like something has been gouged away, you know, or ground earth has been gouged away, but there's mm -hmm. not much material. You can see like stuff debris on the ground, a little bit of smoke, but that was about it. Yeah. And there's also a lot of discussion around the cell phone calls with flight 93. A lot of people think that those calls were faked and the whole thing was sort of staged, mm -hmm. but I, if, if that, if it was staged, then I don't know how that really plays into the narrative of the military shooting it down, but it just, it calls into question everything that we've been told. If they shot down this plane and they're lying to us about it, what else are they lying to us about? Mm -hmm. Is And this is not, oh, they're just lying to us about some security information or whatever. This is a pretty big deal. If they shot this plane down, this is a, this is not a little white lie. This is a big lie. And it appears, based on this document, that they're lying about it. So just to repeat, the document number is 00010135. It is bananas. Absolutely bananas. Okay, so moving along, there's a deposition I found from February 11th, 2008. And it's labeled, the, the title has highly confidential SSI material. So basically top secret, don't show it to the public. So here's a quote from that document. Yes, in terms of the measures I cited in the Masari trial that we could have imposed by security directive from the FAA perspective if the carriers had that sort of information in the context of the time prior to September 11th, they could have gone and done it on their own. Certainly they would have had to talk with us. So the 
the way this is worded, it's this is a deposition. Somebody, this is somebody talking. It's a transcript of somebody talking. I mean, it sounds to me like he's beating beating around the bush. Yeah. So they're they're trying to kind of say not say anything, but mm-hmm. they're basically saying that it could have been prevented if they had had security circulars given to the from the FAA to the airlines. But if you remember. I just talked about two different security circulars that are in these documents that were supposed to have been given to the airlines, but why weren't they? The information was definitely there. There was definitely information that they should have been looking for terrorists, but that uh, somehow that information did not get to the security guards or the airlines. Mm-hmm. So this this quote is not really a smoking gun. It's just sort of another another feather in the cap of you know the the administration covering up pre knowledge or whatever you want to call it. Well, and a lot of times I don't think enough people take the perspective of totality. Yeah, and it's, when you have an event like this, uh, like nine eleven, there's so many different things that you need to take into account. I mean, take into account things that happen to uh, things that happen in the stock market. After the fact, you know, as of recently, we, we have these overlord hacks. Yeah. You can also you can also look into the physics of the event itself. There there have been people that have taken the footage and timed how fast that structure fell, how fast mm-hmm. all the structures fell, and they fell close enough to free fall speed where it doesn't make enough sense given the amount of material involved. There should have been more resistance as far as how fast those structures fell. You yeah. can talk about demolition, what have you. I think you kind of have to talk about demolition when you talk about that, because what else would uh, help those buildings along, and what right. else would get rid of that that all that material coming into contact and with each other? I never took any of this stuff seriously until I saw in real time this dark overlord hacks being erased from. Every corner of the internet, completely well, scrubbed. And then you also also look at how fast they got rid of the debris. They got rid of that debris extremely fast. And as a matter of fact, they boasted about it as well. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the biggest crime scene in American history. And, and they mm-hmm. took great effort to get rid of that evidence because that's what yeah. all that debris is. That's all evidence. Now, you may not need all of it, obviously, but you're going to need a good amount of it. You're going to you're going to at least want to take a good survey of where everything fell, how it fell. And and one of the things also that people mention, especially people that, that lived in New York and observed things as they were happening. There's a lot of people that, that state the rubble pile was very short. It wasn't mm-hmm. very tall and there wasn't a lot of chunked up concrete. Most of the concrete was very pulverized. Mm-hmm. You didn't have these giant chunks of concrete that you would have expected if everything was broken up by the weight of the rest of the building com- coming on down, uh, coming down on top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So th- there's there's some things that just don't plain add up. Yeah. Let me wrap up the the Dark Overlord hacks. So that's all the specific stuff from the documents that I wanted. That's not everything in there, but those are a couple of highlights. There's not a whole lot of stuff that wasn't already publicly known or suspected. The documents in general go along with the official narrative. And some people talk about it being that the insurance companies had to work within the official narrative in order to get their job done. Because if they started talking about controlled demolition or something like that, then the government would not have played ball and they would not have been able to complete their subrogation and they would have been out that money. Mm -hmm. But it does also reaffirm some things we already knew. 
uh, for example, justice doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't matter who did what. It just matters where the money's coming from and where it's going. So, for example, Saudi Arabia, they pay tens of millions of dollars to lobby our government. Often they do this in a roundabout way for legal reasons. So they'll pay off private companies in the U.S. who then in turn lobby for the Saudi Arabia companies. This could be a whole episode on itself. So if, mm -hmm. you know, hashtag look it up, but there's a lot of shenanigans. But in addition to lobbying, it goes further. Saudi Arabia invests billions and billions in dollars, not just in established companies, but also in startup companies, particularly in Silicon Valley companies. It's hard to find the information about how much they own of what, but mm. it wouldn't surprise me if they owned, you know, 60% of Twitter. And that's why there's no talk about the Saudi family being liable for this stuff is because they can silence it because they own everything. They can control now, the flow of information. Yeah. I don't know how much they own, They, but they own a lot. And they they're named many times in these documents is possible targets for subrogation, co-conspirators, people who are probably responsible for the 9-11 attacks. And yet it's completely irrelevant because they got their hands in the right pockets. So mm. they can get away with, they can kill American citizens. They get thousands of Americans dead, a complete shift in our whole government and everything. Our lives, our constitution is now garbage. And it could all be because of some Saudi Arabian princes that will never face justice because they're rich enough to the where they don't have to. And that's, I think that's the part that really just bothers me the most about it. But uh, so moving on from that, anybody trying to look up this stuff, you're, if you Google it, you might find some things, but it's really hard to find stuff. It's, you're not going to get any results for YouTube or whatever. The best place to find this stuff is go to your favorite local neighborhood conspiracy forum and search for it there. Search for it on vote. You can search for it on Reddit, but you might have to search for it on like archived versions. It maybe you have a search engine that isn't Google that's not as well known and not as controlled that can find this stuff. But it's really hard to find this stuff. There's a, a blog, I think it's called Flying Cuttlefish, that has a lot of links to some of this stuff. But it's really super hard to research. So good luck. But if somebody out there, maybe you're a lawyer and you can find stuff that I wasn't able to find, please let us know because I would love to know more about this. One of the, one of the most frustrating things about this whole event is that there's five layers. Three of them have been unlocked. There's two layers that are unlocked that might have the answers in it. And you could download it and have those on your computer. The data is there. Mm -hmm. But it's all gobbledygook until you get the encryption keys. So mm -hmm. it's super frustrating to me that it's there. It's right there on your computer. If you, well, I didn't download it because, you know, that's probably not a good idea. But, you know, if I did, I don't, it's like kind of on the tip of your tongue or it's, it's on the other side of the door. It's like right there. The answers are right there potentially, mm -hmm. but you have to have these keys to unlock them <laughs> or even even just to have good knowledge of the potential for the answers because a lot of people and i don't i don't necessarily disagree with with this mentality there's, there's more people out there that, that agree with the accepted narrative given to us by the government than accept you know that there might have been something very fishy that, that happened like a conspiracy right but, well the yeah the documents they don't necessarily have smoking guns but at the very least 
they really highlight just how incompetent our government and our airport security was to allow this to happen. And they Mm -hmm. also really strongly support the idea that the administration had pre-knowledge of the events and didn't do anything about it or even actively worked against preventing them. But again, there's no proof. There's no smoking gun. It's all just very, very circumstantial, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. So one more thing about the Dark Overlord that's that's kind of strange. So they've been very active since 2017. But when this happened, I haven't been able to find any activity of them starting about seven months ago. So it looks like they've gone completely silent. And when they released the key for layer three, they didn't release it. Normally when they release the keys for this stuff, they have these, these announcements with all this fanfare and they, you know, they say, you know, we're going to do this nasty stuff and release these documents and they'd be very witty and funny about it and stuff. You can look Mm -hmm. up their stuff. It's archived and it's actually kind of a fun read. But when Layer 3 was released, there was none of this stuff. In fact, it was released on somebody else's Twitter account on a guy named Gary Webb on his Twitter account. Now, there's a journalist, Gary Webb, but he died from what I can found. From what I can find, he passed away in 2004, I think. So it's probably not that guy, but it's not the Dark Overlord. It's not their Twitter account because they got erased from Twitter. So some somebody completely unrelated to them, maybe released the key for layer three and what this looks like this looks like a dead man switch it looks like they got caught and they got silenced and key the layer three key got released and that kind of Hmm. is that's kind of tantalizing to me because maybe at some point the keys for layers four and five will be released but you you hope i don't know if it was a dead man switch do you think that they would go ahead and release all of them at once or how do you think that would work? I don't know for sure, but it would make sense if they'd only do layer three, because what they would want to do is they would want to, they wouldn't want to give all their stuff away for free. Right. It looks like the dark overlord was silenced and they had their dead man switch activated for layer three, but I, I keep, I keep my eye out, man. I hope to see them pop up again to see more information released, but I'm not holding my breath on that. So that's pretty much all I have on the Dark Overlord. Uh, final thoughts for 9-11, Agent ETA? So in closing, besides the two topics that we've already covered today, I would recommend looking into a couple other things. And one of them in particular is the congressional hearings looking into the trillions of dollars missing out of the defense budget that was leading up to the uh, September 11th uh, attacks. Mm-hmm. And they ended because the evidence for all these uh, hearings, the investigation into the missing money, all that evidence was being stored in databases that were in World Trade Building 7, coincidentally. So once that was all destroyed, they had to end the investigations because they lost all the information. So one of the people that were being questioned thoroughly, I guess I'll put that up in air quotes thoroughly in these, in these congressional hearings, it was Donald Rumsfeld, which everybody knows the secretary of defense at the time. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and look at these hearings, the questions that they're asking are all, in my opinion, all softball questions. And there's even times where they're literally sitting around joking and laughing. And after the fact, you know, I'm looking at these videos after the fact. So I have a certain perspective. Mm-hmm. 
obviously, you know, bias, right? So, but to me, it looks like they're just killing time. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's all it looks like to me because they never ask him any any hard hitting questions, anything with any real ramifications. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I would look into the congressional hearings involving the the trillions of dollars that were missing out of the defense budget. I would look into the physics of the buildings falling themselves because it is questionable. When you look into the construction of, of World Trade Building 7, it just, the way it fell is suspect. I, well, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to tell everybody. Like if, if you watch that footage and you see how straight that, now obviously like the term that people like to use is it fell into its own footprint. That didn't happen to any mm-hmm. of those buildings. Mm-hmm. But they fell close enough to it they fell close enough to the straight down movement that, man, it's 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 questionable. It looks weird. It's too perfect the way they fell. Yeah, and that's one thing that really surprised me when I started looking at this is everywhere. It's very similar to the JFK assassination, where the more you look into it, the weirder it gets. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it is it never ends. Like the indestructible passport, or mm-hmm. the the buildings falling at free fall, or falling perfectly or near perfectly into their own footprint. Yeah, you know this. One one it, thing, if I could also uh, just interject one one more thing. Yeah, as yeah, far right. as far as research, one thing that I have noticed recently, especially, is a lot of videos on the internet have been purged, and there is less stuff on the internet uh, involving nine eleven to draw mm-hmm. from, less information. There's still all, all sorts of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff, but with with certain to- uh, topics, I would actually suggest going out and getting books that are written on nine eleven. Yeah, there's because a lot of dead links out there. A lot there, of dead links. Yes, you're absolutely right. And those books, if you get a hard copy, well, you know, that's that's a tangible piece of information right there that you'll have as long as you take care of that book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's wrap this one up with a, a quote as usual. This time I got a quote from uh, President Eisenhower. I thought this one was appropriate. This is from his farewell address when he was leaving. This is just excerpts from that, not the whole speech. As we peer into society's future, we, you and I, and our government, must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. We cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without risking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, Three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. 
Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that the security and liberty may prosper together. Akin to and largely responsible for the sweeping changes in our industrial military posture has been the technological revolution during recent decades. In this revolution, research has become central. It also becomes more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment Project allocation and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Yet, in holding scientific discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time.